0: This is the Trip Doctor podcast. I'm Arizona State University tourism professor, Evan Jordan. If you're interested in learning more about being an intelligent traveler, head over to the website at gotripdoctor.com where you can find travel planning resources, a blog about all things travel, and a traveler personality quiz. In the globalized travel environment of today, it's sometimes easy to forget that some groups of travelers have long been and are still yet sometimes marginalized during their travels. The Traveling While Black movement has grown to connect travelers who are interested in addressing marginalization and other issues faced by black travelers in the US and abroad. My guest today is Dr. Alana DeLette, an assistant professor at San Diego State University. Dr. DeLette has recently conducted several studies focusing on the Traveling While Black movement and has attempted to understand the lived experiences of black travelers through their social media posts and interviews with travelers and travel companies. Her research has shown that while some destinations or organizations may still be less than friendly to people of color, traveling now more than ever is providing opportunities for hosts and guests to interact and expand their historical and cultural worldviews. She's also found that social media provides an avenue of communication for travelers that may have previously been disconnected from each other to share their experiences.
1: People want to be seen as for who they are. Right. So we're thinking about marketing, for example, for so long, not only black people, but other minority groups as well have there may be one. Right. So there's a token in a marketing campaign but that is not necessarily representative of the true authentic experience of that person. And so people want to be seen more and with you know, the growth of social media and influencers on these platforms, this is where this, this is where these movements are coming from. Finally, I can easily go online and type in a hashtag and find thousands and thousands of people who have experiences just like mine. And all of a sudden, even though I don't know these people face to face, I feel at home.
0: So I want to start off uh, just by talking a little bit about your own travel experience, which I think is kind of unique. Um, I think you're definitely the first collegiate athlete that I've ever had uh, on the podcast. And you're definitely the first Olympian that I've ever had on the podcast. So I'm hoping that's kind of a unique experience because I think there's a lot of travel involved. I'm sure you can tell us more about that with Traveling for uh, athletic competitions, and it's kind of a unique type of travel. So, can you tell us a little bit about what that is like and how maybe that influenced your own personal travels, or or does it influence your travels at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So, as you mentioned, I I was a swimmer, Um, I was a collegiate swimmer, and then later on, a professional swimmer where I competed for the Bahamas internationally. And so, I grew up. First, I grew up around tourism, um, so a lot of people visit the Bahamas and it's a really huge tourist destination, so I grew up with that as a part of my daily life. But in addition to that, at I guess starting at age 11, I started to travel regionally, so for us that's within the Caribbean for um, swimming competitions. My very first one, I remember we went to Barbados in the year 2000, <laughs> long time ago now, but um, I traveled there and it's a really unique experience because everywhere you go, you're representing your your nation, right? So you're representing your country, you're wearing your your country gear. Um, if, if you're winning medals, they're playing your national anthem. So it's very linked to national pride and everybody else that you meet there is also doing the same for their country. So while you may not be traveling to all of those different countries, you're learning from, from people from all over the world and what it means to be a Barbadian, what it means to be from Trinidad and Tobago, et cetera. Um, And as I got older, I got to travel to, you know, further and further destinations um, away from me. So beyond the Caribbean, all around the world. Um, I I wanna say by the time I retired, through my international competitions, I had traveled to every continent except for Antarctica.
0: Wow. uh, (laughs)
1: is you know not many people get to go there but so it really it afforded me to go a lot of places for sure um and to meet people from all around the world sporting is very unique in that uh, when you get to the top level so you know the world championships pan-american games olympic games you're not only competing with other swimmers but there are athletes from all different disciplines that are all there for the same um goal, staying in the same village. And it's a very peaceful experience, I I guess, is the way that I could describe it. Uh, Because everybody's coming together for the same, you know, the same goal, right? And, And it's a positive goal, why we why we have all gotten there together.
0: Did you have any time because I would imagine as as an athlete at the professional level, at the amateur level, you spend a ton of time training. And so you're traveling a bunch for competitions, you're spending a ton of time in the pool, I would assume. Do you have any, during that time, did you have any time to travel on your own or was all your travel athletics related?
1: So we were pretty lucky um, where we were able to mostly do half and half everywhere we went. So you're right, uh, we did train a lot. And when you first get there prior to competition, um, so if you're going somewhere really far away, for example, when I went to the Beijing Olympics, You know, we traveled almost, probably almost two weeks ahead of time. We spent a week in Singapore and then we traveled to Beijing and we got acclimatized to the village and the setting and the pool. And so all of that was really focused around getting ready for our competition. Um, We would do, you know, little things here and there, but after the meet, after you're finished is when you got to have your real fun. Um, you know, because all the pressure's off and you don't have to worry about resting all the time or eating the right things, etc. Um, and so we would usually stay a couple of days to a week extra if we could, if our schedules allowed. Um, and that way we would be able to experience the destinations that we had gone to. Um, and a lot of the meets, they, they have liaisons there with you. And so usually you meet people while you're there and then they would say, let me take you to my, you know, to my home or to my village or let me show you around or let me connect you with my friend who can sort of be your personal tour guide sort of thing.
0: Oh, that's so cool. So you get kind of that local experience um, that's just like there for you.
1: Yeah, a lot of times you do because during a lot of the games that I travel to, For those week or two weeks, you're kind of like mini celebrities in in that destination Um, because, you know, there's a lot of hype that's, you know, drilled up around the games, for example. So I'll give an example about um, I went to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 2007 for the Pan American Games and everybody's wearing a placard with your face on it. So they know who you are. Right. They know you're an athlete from somewhere. Um, And so you're easily identifiable, and at least all of the places that I went to, everybody was very welcoming and wanted to get to know you. They wanted to show you around. They were proud to display their destination to you. So they were really looking for those types of opportunities to, you know, to connect, but also to benefit economically as well from all these extra people that were there that otherwise would not have been there.
0: It's so fascinating because you're... a a fairly young person, and it's so interesting to hear somebody say, like, I retired. Um, (laughs) And I feel like that's really unique to athletics, because, you know, most professional athletes, by the time you reach, you know, your 30s, like, that's kind of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. You retired from your first career, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just an interesting concept to me, because I'm 34, and I'm like, I feel like I haven't really reached my prime yet, but... (laughs) In athletics, it's like you're on the downward slope at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, in most sports, you are. I mean, there's there's select few who might make it to 40, but 40 is like old in, in sporting terms, you know, but in the rest of the world, it's not.
0: So you just got back from Ghana. You were uh, doing a research project there. Um, so, yeah, fill us in. What, what were you doing on that trip and what type of research um, were you undertaking Uh, When you were there,
1: like you mentioned, I recently got back from Ghana just about a week ago, actually, and um, I was there doing some research with a group called Traveling Black. It's a group of African-Americans who travel from the U.S. mostly um, back to Africa for the purpose of roots tourism, which is broadly just attempting to connect back to where your um, ancestors would have originally came from. And so I was there doing a case study um, with this, a group of about 10 people um, who had most of them, this was their first time ever traveling to Africa or to Ghana or West Africa. Um, And so it was a really unique experience because I was a participant on the trip as well as the researcher, which is the first time I've ever um, done that. But it honestly... All in all, it was it was an amazing experience, um, because if you have if you haven't traveled to Africa, first, you should. Um, It's a very unique and authentic place, especially Ghana, because just because of the way that the people are, um, they speak English there. So it's very easy to connect with people and actually get to know people while you're on the ground um, in the country.
0: I'm interested in how, how did you become a tourism researcher? So you said you, you traveled a lot when you were young. You traveled for athletics. I, it's always fascinating to me how people get from being a traveler to being somebody who studies travel. What was that experience like for you?
1: So as I mentioned earlier, I grew up, I grew up in the Bahamas, uh, specifically on Grand Bahama. If you're not familiar, um, the country is an archipelago of islands. And so I grew up on one of the most northern islands, pretty close to Florida. But like I said, because of that, from a really young age, you know, tourists are everywhere all the time, right? Um, and as I got older into high school, I was, I remember I took an economics class um, with a teacher I still remember, Miss Robinson. And in 11th grade, we were assigned a project to do about the third phase of Atlantis, which a lot of people are familiar with because it's about a 3,000-room resort located on the island of New Providence. And that was actually the first time that I was introduced. I didn't know it then, but introduced to the idea of researching tourism with the focus of answering some sort of question or solving some kind of problem. Um, So they hadn't built the third phase yet. And so, I mean, we were just in grade 11. So we were essentially just doing a, a market study of what was there and what they were planning to do. Um, and how that would impact that specific location. So from there on, I went to university. Uh, one of my main focuses was still athletics at the time, but you know, tourism was something that I always knew. I always really loved to interact with people. I loved to travel, and so I, so I thought, why not? You know, why not study something that has to do with tourism? So I got my undergraduate degree in hotel and restaurant management, um, and from there on, I you know, something just kind of kept pulling me towards graduate school, which is where I really got introduced to the fact that you could not only um, work in the industry, but you could also study the industry. And so that's when I kind of made the switch from working to, or from working in to working on. Um, And my very first research project, I went back to the Bahamas and did a study on volunteer tourism on some of the islands. So I've always really tried to connect it back to my roots. Um, and where I'm from. And that's sort of continued to how I progressed to where I am today.
0: So you mentioned you did research on volunteer tourism to the Bahamas. You've also done research on things like yoga tourism, um, on things like diversity and inclusion in tourism, wellness tourism. Is there like a central theme kind of around the research that you do? I know you mentioned you connect, connect it with um, your roots, but what about topically, like what what would you say is your main area of expertise?
1: So, I would say, and it has become more clear over time. Uh, my my project on volunteer tourism was unique in that I also connected it back to swimming. And so I was looking at programs that were coming to the islands to teach um, children and adults how to swim in places that otherwise, they didn't have access to these types of, of lessons. And so loosely, it was linked to gr- minority groups that were marginalized in a specific way. So in this way, being that um, a lot of black people in the entire world don't know how to swim. And how was this being was this gap being bridged through volunteer tourism? So that was kind of the central theme there. And it over time has trickled down into I would say my overarching theme in my research is looking at um, issues involving diversity and inclusion, um, and hopefully leading to social equity in tourism. And so that's kind of where the traveling while Black study that I've recently done comes in, because it again it still deals with a group that has historically been marginalized in the travel and tourism
0: sphere. So can you tell us a little bit about? So there's this, there's a movement now. Um, hashtag traveling while black and on all sorts of social media you can search that hashtag and see all sorts of information on people's lived experiences. But I want to start kind of at the beginning and there's something that I think a lot of people don't know about and I was fascinated to hear you uh, present about this at a conference recently um, and that is the green book. Can you tell us what the green book is and how that? Has influenced uh, your research on traveling while black?
1: Yeah, so a lot of people don't know about the Green book and um, you know it's it's like a lot of other historical points of reference. they just they haven't been taught in the schools. they haven't been given given a voice. So the green book which uh, was, was originally titled The Negro Motorist Green Book and it was a publication I want to say. Uh, published in 1936 for the first time but don't quote me on that and it was published for about 30 to 40 years as a reference guide for African Americans living in states to travel by car across the country. Um, so much of the travel of African Americans was revolved around going to see family in different states um, but during Jim Crow segregation it was very difficult to do that and know where you could stay, where you could have uh, a meal with your family without being discriminated against or worse. And so this book provided a guide to give people safe places that they could go um, during the day and also at night, right? Because there were also something called sundown towns, uh, places that you didn't want to go after dark. Um, And so it was published uh, year after year, and a lot of uh, Black families in the U.S. use this to, to safely you know, transfer
0: their families from point A to point B. This is a a topic that to me, like it's hard for me to imagine as a, a white male having this type of experience. And so that's I think getting this information out to the general traveling public to understand how black people in the United States for such a long period of time needed to worry about these things when they were traveling and it sounds like from your current research that that sort of hasn't really gone away because there's been calls recently to sort of bring back the green book and can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so you know i don't i don't want to dampen the entire um the entire research project that we did in um, this project just as a caveat, I also did with my um, co-author, Stephanie Benjamin at University of Tennessee, which you interviewed um, a little while ago. But I would say that the research that we did, which was looking at the lived experiences of African-American travelers, um, while it did reveal some um, continuing issues of racism and microaggression while traveling, um, there still was hope in that. There were also themes that talked about Um, transformation and very meaningful experiences that people had while they were traveling. But in general, most of the, the, the data that we analyzed came back and just talked about the fact that even though it's 2018, there still has to be a significant awareness of your black skin while you're traveling, whether that's other people noticing it, choosing to touch your hair or think you're a prostitute in certain areas of the world because of how you look. Um, there is, there still has to be this awareness of who you are because people are, are perceiving you or stereotyping you in a certain way. Um, some people did make comments about, you know, well there should be a, a new green book of sorts, um, and actually a study that I'm currently working on also with Stephanie about the black travel movement has, um, preliminarily uh, reveal that as well because there's something that's coming out of this called the black travel movement so it's not necessarily a green book in that you know we're still living in a segregated world and you can't go to this hotel but a green book in that these are places that are going to be really welcoming to you these are um, people that you should travel with who have similar experiences to you so you can relate to them these are places or destinations that you should travel to that really want you to be here and want to learn about your experience so it's more about that than it is about you know pure segregation like the green book was um was looking at
0: so how did you 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 mentioned you you've done this research and you're continuing this vein of research how did you get your data for this like where who did you talk to and, and what sorts of things did you ask them
1: So the data for the study that I recently presented, we actually pulled from Twitter um, and they've made it pretty easy because of the, because of hashtags, right? So hashtag movement um, started, you know, a while ago and you can find hashtags on all different sorts of topics, but specifically within um, the world of African-Americans, there's something called Black Twitter. So it's It's not necessarily it's not separate from Twitter, but it's a space within the Twitter realm where people talk about and share their experiences as black Americans. So, for example, that's where the hashtag Black Lives Matter would have come from. And that's the same area that the hashtag Traveling While Black came from. Um, And so we were able to pull our data from there for that study. And um, the study that I was referring to after that about the movement, um, I simply reached out to there's over 20 different organizations now that exist um, and all have sort of different niches, but they focus on catering towards black travelers and their experiences. And so I reached out to the founders of them. You can easily find them online. Um, just told them, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, they were, most of them were open. I got over 10 people to talk to me. And for this study, we because it's never been done and because it's so new still, we started by just asking them, why did they start their company? Why did they think that there was a need to have a company that was focused specifically on on Black travel? Um, So we started with that and and sort of got stories about, you know, their experiences with travel growing up through their parents' eyes and their grandparents and um, leading into the fact that they just didn't see themselves represented in the travel space in the way that they wanted to. Um, Many people also reflected on the fact that, you know, they'd be in groups of friends, like, let's go on a trip, but people would be scared, right? Because they just didn't feel like they had a safe space to be able to do that type of travel. And we're talking about, you know, bigger international trips right beyond the traditional like let's go to the Bahamas (laughs) even though I'm from there it's kind of become that destination um so we asked them that and everything from what's it like to be in in the travel industry how are you treated by others um and where do they see the future of it all going
0: did you find any data that relates this movement and, and other similar movements to Things like the current political climate, like how does that play a role? Did you find any data from people? I mean, did they talk about that?
1: So, <laughs> interestingly, we did ask that—that that almost that exact question—and um, the short answer is yes. The political climate, the current political climate, is impacting the travel industry. Um, from a macro perspective, there's already been statistics that have shown. Um, travel, inbound travel to the U.S. from international arrivals has gone down um, since our most recent president was elected. But at a more micro level within the black travel movement, some of the things that um, were reported to me in my research was that people are now starting to inquire a lot more about going to African countries. Um, people are starting to go more. People are starting to not only want to visit, but also buy land Um, potentially for the future rent apartments Um, within some of the groups they have you know they have like closed forums where they have discussions Uh, people are starting to talk about what if we have what if we feel the need to have to leave where are we going to go so we're now seeing travel moving from you know not just for leisure purposes or for experiencing different cultures but also like what if I don't feel safe here anymore because of the political climate, where can I then go? And how can I make a a possibility through my travel? Um, So we're seeing a lot of uptake in, in people wanting to get their passports at the very least, so that if they want to or need to, they have the ability to get on an international flight.
0: And do you think this is, I mean, sounds like this is related to the research that you're now currently doing in Ghana. Like, how is that connected to people's heritage tourism?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it, has overlapping themes Um, and we are definitely seeing that so you know of course there's not going to be a mass exodus of people necessarily but there may be a mass movement of people traveling to different African countries to figure out you know what is it like in these places where my ancestors once came from so for example on the trip that I was recently on um, not everybody but there were some people who prior to the trip had done their ancestry So um, the one I saw was from Ancestry.com, and so this person had looked at their Ancestry. Theirs specifically had Ghana as the number one place, I think it was 30% or something, and so that's why they were on the trip. They went to Ancestry, they found out where their genetics, say their ancestors came from, and that's where they wanted to go. Um, so we're seeing a lot more of that, of people actually wanting to go back to very specific countries or areas of Africa to to just see what what is it like there, right? Africa has been very demonized in Western culture for a really long time. And so I think now we're really seeing the veil start to be lifted and people starting to say, no, I want to know about, you know. I want to know about who I am and where I came from originally.
0: Do you think, I mean, it, it's fascinating because I, I actually took one of those ancestry DNA tests, um, I want to say like a year ago or so. And it, it it's so interesting how certain people identify with elements of their heritage and your DNA test can either confirm or not confirm that. And I've had people who said, you know, I really identified like with my uh, my Irish heritage. And then they did a DNA test. And it's like you have five percent Irish DNA. <laughs> so I, it's just fascinating that that is something that's driving people to travel. And it's just so cool that people have the ability to do that, to see, you know, and of course, where people, where your relatives came from doesn't necessarily have to match up with your DNA. Right. Because diasporas are unique in that you know, people travel and their DNA might not be where they came from. Did you, have you done one of those tests?
1: So I haven't <laughs> yet. I, um, I've been thinking about it for a really long time, and I am just one of those skeptics who I'm not sure I want to give my DNA to a company yet. Um, I, I think eventually I'll end up doing it, but I also am... <sighs> I'm like you mentioned I'm just not sure if how much does my DNA um I guess determine my identity, right? I think DNA and identity are two different things. And so I think you have to be careful with attaching too much of your identity to whatever you find out on that test. And maybe prior to doing that, which is what I'm kind of doing right now is track your lineage like Tell your own, you know, cultivate and preserve your own story, whatever that may be. Um, so I've already started to um, just do some research on my paternal and my maternal lineage, I'm interviewing my parents and um, my older relatives that are still alive. So I don't know, for me, that's a little bit more interesting right now. And then maybe later on, I'm going to do my ancestry to, to link up. How, how closely do the stories link to the genetics?
0: So I want to I wanna ask um, the Traveling While Black, um, these organizations that are now being started and probably have existed for a while now, catering to a certain subset of travelers. Do you see this as similar to other organizations that are... I mean, niche tourism is kind of one of the big topics that people are interested in right now because... There are all sorts of segments of travelers that have traditionally been ignored um, or at least underserved by the tourism industry. And so do you see commonalities between this segment and potentially other segments of underserved populations?
1: Yeah, I do. I, I think that the commonality and the underlying sort of theme and need for these organizations and companies is people want to people want to be seen as at, for who they are. Right. So if we're thinking about marketing, for example, for so long, not only black people, but other minority groups as well have, you know, there may be one, right. So there's a token in a marketing campaign, but that is not necessarily representative of the true authentic experience of that person. And so people want to be seen more and with, You know, the growth of social media and influencers on these platforms, this is where this this is where these movements are coming from. Finally, I can easily go online and type in a hashtag and find thousands and thousands of people who have experiences just like mine. And all of a sudden, even though I don't know these people face to face, I feel at home. And these companies are giving people um, avenues to go and travel and meet these other people face to face and experience um, a trip together. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's you know any different than than any other kind of minority travel group that's that's wanting to be seen and heard.
0: Do you think there's any chance that I I I think it's very important for these organizations to exist and to provi- to provide those services and to help identify places that are friendly or places that are um, particularly open to people of color or whatever population it may be in terms of travel experiences. But I'm just wondering, do you think that having resources that help you travel to places that have already been identified as friendly to someone like you, does that in any way, do you think, Increase sort of insularity between groups of people like does it remove the chances that you'll have a positive interaction with somebody that may have had biases before but could be changed through a positive interaction
1: if the groups are to only focus on traveling to places that are already say a majority black country or a country that's very welcoming to um, to black people or african americans then yes that would be true Um, but, and maybe I misrepresented, but the groups, they're going everywhere, right? So it's actually a little bit the opposite in some places where they're taking, you know, there's some, not all the trips are like this, but there are some, um, really large trips. For example, I know there's one that goes to Dubai in December and they take like 500 people or they organize for 500 people to go at one time in this one place. And so they're then having an impact on the destination where otherwise they may not see that many people of color in that destination at one time. Okay. And so, yeah, so I think, and I think you're right. I think it's important to show up in places that, you know, maybe never see somebody who looks like you. Right. My husband went to Russia some years ago and he said that people treated him like a celebrity because he's a six, seven black man with crazy hair and he was in some rural communities in Russia right so yeah go to places where maybe you might traditionally feel uncomfortable to you know to expose yourself and expose other people to your culture as you're at the same time being exposed to their culture
0: that's so i mean it's so cool as as a transformative experience for people i mean that's one of my favorite things about travel and tourism is that you, do, you you see all sorts of people who you wouldn't normally, maybe in your everyday life, interact with. And it does help increase people's open-mindedness and cultural awareness and just knowledge of people who are not like, uh, maybe not like yourself. And so I think it's very cool that those types of trips are being organized and providing opportunities for those types of, of awesome interactions.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's my favorite part about travel, right? It's just... Seeing how other people live, um, because we can all get stuck in our bubbles, no matter who we are. Um, and I think travel affords you that ability to sit to see outside of your bubble, outside of your world. So I love that about our industry and what I get to do.
0: That's That's one of the things that I tell people all the time is the more places that I go, the more I realize that everybody's the same. Like people just want to wake up and spend time with their family and their friends and you know have a job and you know be able to come home and spend time with their kids like all those things everybody just wants to do that Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's fascinating to me that that sort of travel has has shown me that and has the opportunity to show uh everybody that um and it doesn't mean you have to go to super distant countries it can be you know within your own country there's um, even within the U.S., there's all sorts of different cultural pockets, I- even in like in your own state.
1: Oh, yes. It's,
0: yeah. That's something that I, I think sort of goes under discussed is that even within like I live in Arizona, you know, northern Arizona, totally different than southern Arizona, culturally, sometimes linguistically. Um, and so that's just that's just fascinating to me. Yeah.
1: And that's one of the things I think within this. Within this movement and just the general um, climate of social media influencing and sharing is that we have to remember, you know, not everybody has the resources, whether it be money or time um, or ability to travel across the Atlantic Ocean, right? Not all of us have that. So, you know, if you can't do that, then you live in California, go and visit Northern California, Uh, Go and visit Alabama, go and visit South Carolina, like go and visit the places that are in your backyard. I think that those experiences are just as important, if not more, than being able to go to a really faraway place. And I think that if we're not careful, that that will get lost in sort of the hype of, you know, well, I've been to this many places or done this many things.
0: And so much of social media is about that, isn't it? Mm hmm. Mm
1: hmm. So that's a conversation for another day.
0: <laughs> it is. And actually I interviewed um Bynum Boley about uh a kind of about that about how people travel to places that they think are going to get them a lot of likes and it's yeah. sort of that yeah. conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. So I want to um I want to just finish by asking you if I let's say I am a black traveler or I'm somebody who is interested in learning about this movement or um, being a part of it or being an ally of this movement or just understanding more. Like, what do you recommend that somebody does to, to learn more about this?
1: I mean, I think that before even delving into learning more about this, that we all should take the initiative to learn more about our own story and be the sort of tellers of our own story. Right. And that's a little bit what our research was about. We called it counter narrative storytelling, which essentially just means that, you know, you get to tell what your story is authentically instead of uh, the the group that's in the majority. And in the U S that's white males telling your story for you. So I think no matter who you are, whether you're a woman or a man, or you're white or you're black, that that should be kind of your number one thing as far as um, exploring who you are. And maybe you're lucky enough to also get to do that through travel. Um, And then I think as far as traveling is concerned, when you're visiting places, um, if you can try to, you know, on a trip of a couple of days, try to visit one historically significant place, Uh, whether that place has to do with um, slavery in the US, or has to do with some other historical significant thing that happened, visit those places and ask questions, ask uncomfortable questions. Um, and that doesn't have to be, you don't have to ask somebody, maybe you're just asking yourself. Um, and so you're, you're not just visiting your, the place, but you are giving it that holistic experience of trying to actually push your understanding forward um, and <laughs> becoming more woke, if you will, right, about whatever place that you're visiting. Um, and then I, I guess the last thing, and I've already said it a, a bit is to not, if you can't go far away, go somewhere close by and make that your experience. Right. Um, or if you can for black travelers specifically, I think the big thing right now is like, go to Africa, go to Africa, go to Africa and then come home and also go to Mississippi. Right. So don't sort of put things on pedestals, um, because all of these different places have historical place marks in our lives, and I think they all deserve um, the same amount of, of of visitation and of attention.
0: Well, Alana, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This has been fascinating.
1: You're welcome. It's been great to uh, talk to you.